here in the next several weeks. You can find the information in your worship guide. I believe there's a table out in the, uh, in the foyer also. I'm going to do this before I forget, because I forgot last week, um, and she's going to kill me. Ms. Julie Barber, don't come up here, but just wave. Julie's right over here. Julie directs our preschool ministry here at the church. She has a, a real job um, and a family and a life. Um, and then she comes here on the weekends and helps us do what we do here with our preschool ministry. She also helps put together and direct two VBSs um, in the summertime for us. And so, man, Julie, thank you. I'm going to leave this here for you to come and get after the service. Yeah, let's tell Julie thank you for all she does. So we're going to continue through our series this morning, Foolproof, uh, Proverbs 21. We've been walking through the Proverbs. I hope you're keeping up, maybe with your Proverbs readings. Um, we have the, the devotional guide that, that we kind of gave out and distributed at the beginning of the summer, um, as you can walk through the book of Proverbs on your own. So I hope you're staying up with that. Uh, but Proverbs 21 is where we'll be. We'll have it on the screen if you don't have a copy with you. Um, we're going to talk about our hearts today, um, which is great. The worship set really kind of talked about that also, but the fact that we need renovation in our hearts. Um, if we leave our hearts by themselves, so if we leave our hearts to do what they want to do, and if we leave our, health, our hearts to just direct us the way that they want to go naturally, they are going to gravitate toward foolishness. Our heart, that's our natural inclination. That's our natural hearts bent in direction. We will naturally gravitate towards foolishness and doing foolish things and you're like well maybe you are pastor but i'm exceptionally wise okay all right i'll take that i'll be the fool this morning all right so so maybe you don't have to or maybe you can relate to me um, but i know my heart left to itself gravitates towards foolishness um way back when when i was a, a kid i was thinking about this the other day maybe i was 10 years old um it's do you ever have your first crush do you remember your first crush anybody Okay, I remember my first crush, 10 years old, Terry Dowell. Um, I lived here. There was a house. There was a church that was right at the corner of our street, and then right behind that was a series of houses, and Terry lived on the corner. We went to the same elementary school, Bell Manor Elementary School, the Bobcats, uh, when I was a kid. And I can remember, I don't know, like I said, 10 years old. Um, I feel like it was sometime around that time, had a little crush going on. And I made the mistake of telling a friend. And that friend gave me some wise advice, and he said, write her a note. Literally the whole yes or no, I like you, do you like me, yes or no, that thing, check one. <laughs> Sounds great to a 10-year-old, you know, so I'm like, okay, I'm all in on that. Well, I'm also super awkward, and I don't know what to do with this whole thing. Uh, on our playground at our school, we had a, did you guys have a swinging gate? It was a steel gate. And it just swung in circles. Now we would, they would probably ban it because somebody would get hurt, you know, and helmets would be, you know, given out and all that stuff. We had this gate, and all you did was put people on it and spin them as fast as you could. You could get three people on there, but one always flew off, right? That was, but you get two on there. So we're on the playground, and my buddy who knows that I have this crush on Terry says, hey, Terry, Joe wants to spin you on the gate. I'm like, okay, sure. So she jumps on the gate, and I spin her probably faster than I've spun anybody else because I'm nervous. So, like, all that energy's coming out, and I'm throwing her just as fast as she can around. She's holding on. She finally gets done, and, and it's then that I'm like, hey, I got a note for you. And I hand it to her, and she's literally that thing where you can't stand up, you know? And I hand her a note, and I run off, and I go to the other side of the playground. And through another friend... Right? This is how it works when you're a third grade, a 10-year-old third grader. Another friend says, hey, Terry's going to get that note back to you. You're going to look for it in her fence. We had chain link fences, had little diamonds and all the chains. You could put a note in there, right? Okay. 
So every day after school, I have to walk by our house. I'm looking for the note, looking for the note. Doesn't come, doesn't come. Five, six, seven days later, it was raining. And I'm just desperately wanting to know, did she say yes? Did she check the yes box? Right. So I go out after it's rained, and I go and turn up the notes there, right? Go over to it. I'm not going to recommend you see this, but have you ever seen the jerk when he reads the note in the bathtub? It looks like that. It's like, but what I can read is no. <laughs> the rest of it's just kind of smushed, gross, you know, runny ink, and then the no box is clearly checked, right? And, you know, I, I mean, I don't know why. I was a little bit chubby. I had, like, a really cool Frankenstein T-shirt on when I did that. I remember that. Spun her around in circles. I don't understand why, what the rejection was all about. <laughs> so there, there's something that's sort of sweet about that story, I think, maybe. But on the other hand, there's something about a little bit of a, foolish near, a foolishness there. And in some ways, I think we're just big, giant, foolish little kids running around in adult bodies sometimes. You know? We, we grow up and we, we learn and we live and we get wisdom, but it's probably not the best thing to give voice to every love that you have. It's probably not best to pursue every desire. It's probably not best to just chase after um, what your heart tells you to do without good counsel and a good plan. And you know, now I thought about it. Now that I'm thinking about it, I don't even know if her name was Dowell or McDowell. I don't even, because about six days later, I met Minnie. We got married when we were like 12, and that's it. We've been <laughs> happily married ever after, right? Most of us gravitate so, towards some kind of foolishness. Poor plans, listening to the wrong advice, bad way to pull it off, just the whole thing. And if we chase after our hearts, if we do what our hearts tell us to do, we will gravitate towards foolishness. We will gravitate towards doing things that we probably should not do. Now, luckily, the Bible has a lot to tell us about our hearts. More than 300 times, the Bible says, talks about the human heart, okay? Not the thing that's beating in your chest, that part of you that only you and God know about. 300 times, Scripture says something about our hearts. And in this Scripture, we're going to see some things here in this proverb in particular that talks about our plans. Throughout Scripture, we kind of get this. It's sort of a sad editorial comment um, about our hearts in Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus talks about it in Matthew 15. He says, um, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Left to our hearts, we will go in that direction. Now, we can call it sin, and we're going to look at some of the evil and sin and foolishness. That is where our heart naturally goes. So we need somebody, something to come and just literally overhaul, renovate, completely undo um, our hearts. Following our hearts can be so very dangerous. In this passage, in, in, a, in a, this chapter in Proverbs 21, several verses that talk about this. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. In verse 2, every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. In verse 4, haughty eyes and a proud heart are the lamp of the wicked and its sin. In verse 8, there are you some other words for what's going on in our hearts. The way of a guilty man is crooked, but as for the pure, his conduct is upright. In verse 10, the soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no favor in his eyes. Verse 16, a man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. Verse 25 and 26, 
The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. All day long he is craving while the righteous gives and doesn't hold back. So there are several words there that really are describing our hearts, I think, with just different ways. It uses the word way to talk about our hearts. We'll talk about that. Our heart, our eyes, our plans, our soul, our desires, our cravings. All these things are seated in our hearts. There's some expression uh, of what's going on inside of us. So this proverb talks a lot about that. And following that heart can be so dangerous. I think one reason why following our hearts is dangerous, not only do we get maybe embarrassed um, or have massive, massive failures in our lives that could be avoided and unnecessary, um, one of the reasons that it's dangerous to follow our hearts is that our hearts change all the time. Like just yesterday, how many times did your heart change direction? You got up and you determined to do X, Y, Z, and you ended up doing one, two, orange. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you didn't do anything that you set out because throughout the day your heart changed directions four different times. It can change with a phone call. It can change with what you consider to be a criticism. It can change when your favorite team loses. Right? It can change in a traffic jam. Our heart can change directions a hundred times a day. Following our heart's bad. Following our heart is dangerous. Or we can become, our hearts can be obsessed with the wrong things. Our hearts are in love with something that really is an idol. And that's going to demand our love and our worship and our resources. And it's going to demand that we pursue it. And we're going to pursue that to our destruction if we just follow our hearts. And that can be our dreams and our joy and our meaning in life and the impact that we have in life. If I chase after what my heart wants, I'm going to sacrifice the majority of those things for what my fickle heart wants to do right now. So following our hearts can be very dangerous. Let's look at the, we're going to pull out some of these verses and see what it says about our hearts and maybe how to redirect them a little bit. Proverbs 21, 1, verse 1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whichever way he wishes. If anyone would be in charge of their heart, free to follow their heart, it would be the king. Kings, even until very recently in human history, have been seen as divine. If not God-ordained, like placed there by God and imbued with the authority of God, literally themselves deity. Kings would have been seen as the highest of human authority and directing their own choices, freedom, power, and will. And if anybody was free to do what they want, to follow their hearts, certainly it would be the king. But what we find out in verse 1 is, is that God is the ultimate authority, right? That God uh, is in charge of and over every single heart, even the king's heart. So what does that mean for us? Man, there's a lot that means for us. First, it means God's accomplishing his will in all things and in all people. When you look at the craziest person who is in charge of something, right? You may go, man, they're evil and they need to be out of that position of authority, but God's over their heart. God's in charge of what's happening, not to the degree to maybe to the point of choosing the horrible things they're doing, but he's taking what they're doing and he's directing it for what he wants to do. God is accomplishing all things that he wants to do through all people. Secondly, God's authority, his rule, his power trumps every other rule, authority, and power. Every other one. So you're thinking, well, good, because our president is a nut job, right? I am so glad that God's authority trumps him. You need to micro that, man. You need to get down to your own heart and say, God's authority trumps my authority. God's authority trumps my power. God's authority trumps what I want to do, my plans, my choices, my 
deliver or my, my uh, direction in life. That's the application point of this. Certainly it's awesome that God changes the hearts of kings, but if he's changing, the point here is if he's, it's the argument for the greater to the lesser. If he's changing the hearts of kings, what's he doing in my life and in my heart? Third thing is we have choices to make. We have choices to make, right? God's directing those things. We have these choices that we have to make. And listen, your ultimate choice is to align your choices with God's heart. It's not like God wants to, I would say it this way, wants to come along behind you and correct you all the time. I told you to, I expect you to, I, I thought I said to do this, like we do with our kids a lot of times, right? He wants us to willingly choose to submit our wills, our plans, and our authority to his. We have choices that we have to make, and the ultimate choice we have to make every day, maybe multiple times a day, is to align our choices with the heart of God. It also means this, that God's sovereignty is big enough to include your choices, ensuring that his plans come to pass. I'm not going to pit your choices against God's choices. I'm going to say God's big enough to take your choices and do what he wants to with them. God's sovereignty is so big, it can take the choice of the worst person, the worst leader in the world, and make it do what he wants it to do. That should bring great comfort to us at the end of the day. We want our choices. I think as believers, we want our choices to be eternally effective. Don't you? Don't you want your life to have some kind of an eternal significance? Some kind of lasting power? We want our choices that we make here to be eternally significant and effective as aligned with God as possible because he's revealed his will to us in scripture. Stop waiting for the hand on the wall or the silent still voice in your mind. He has spoken. He has revealed his word and his will to us in scripture. And we can have a testimony of faithfulness and participating in building the kingdom of God. That should be what we're focusing on. This idea, man, in the West, we just cringe at this. Verse one doesn't comfort so many of us and it ought to. This ought to be one of the most comforting ideas in Scripture that God is sovereign and in charge. And he's big enough to take every screwy, crappy decision that you and I have made and, and bend it toward what he wants to accomplish. This is never intended to induce hand-wringing on our part. Whatever power or authority you and I have, any power and authority that you and I have, our number one concern in all of our energy is supposed to be spent on using it as effectively for God's glory as possible. It's how God's redeemed people are the most effective. How is the church, if you're a church person, not a member, but you're a, a redeemed member of God's family because of Christ, if you're a Christian, how are you most effective? You're gonna ask yourself this question. How is God working in my world right now? Matter of fact, I'm gonna say this. This is a shameless plug for the ladies' Bible study. You're going to go through some of these principles if you go through the ladies' Bible study this fall and in the spring. One of the key questions you ask when you want to know how my, my choices can have eternal significance is stop and look around and go, what's God doing in my world right now? Where is God already at work? Do you, do you realize this? Like you're not going to come to God with a new idea, right? Hey, God, you ever thought about this? <laughs> you know? Stop and look around and see what God is already doing in your world Because we want our decisions to be as effective as possible Secondly, you're going to ask the question something like this How are people's hearts changed? How are people saved? How are people eternally impacted for the kingdom of God? You're going to ask something like that How is good done on this planet? How is anything good done here? 
And I'm going to add, the, the, the answer to those questions is that God uses people. He uses redeemed people. Confessing that the God is Lord and that his ways are best and then doing good things here and now, taking the gospel wherever we go. Our will bending to his will. So what does that look like? Literally, practically, as you go through, I'm going to give you four or five things here. Submit your plans and authority to God. This is in the, in the book of James. Just go read. It's a quick, easy read. Read the book of James. It talks about this actually a couple of times. But as you go through your day, you kind of, I, I pre, Joe Parle's here on the front row, and he reminds me, when he writes you an email, like, hey, dude, we're going to go grab lunch at Berry Hills on Thursday, he'll like, God willing, I'll be there. Just this daily little simple reminder, man, according to God's will, I'll be there. If not, I won't. But as best as I can tell, this is what God wants me to do, and I'll, be, I'll see you there. You're just daily, consistently submitting your plans and your authority to God. God, how do you want me to use this place of influence? How do you want me to use these talents you've given me or this job you've given me or this position you've given me? Man, I submit it to you. Next thing, know and love Jesus more than anything. Some of you just balk at this and this just irks your little Western mind because you want to test stuff and have checklists and talking about love is just too squirry, you know, yucky for you. Sorry, the number one commandment in Scripture is to love God. You want your, you want your, your choices, your authority, everything you do in life to have eternal significance Submit your plans and authority to God and then know and love Jesus more than anything. That's going to come down to Scripture. You have got to be familiar with Scripture. You have to know what's in Scripture. It's going to come through worship, and I think it's also going to come through devotional time with the Lord. You have to have this intensely powerful, personal, devotional time with God where you are just loving on the Lord sometime during the week. If, all you, if your entire expression of love to God happened in the last 35 minutes, you are never going to have this deep-seated love for the Lord that you've got to have. So throughout the week, you have to have this interaction with God. Rick, I want to know you, and I want to love you. So I'm going to get in Scripture, I'm going to worship you, and I'm going to be this devotionally committed, relationally committed. Next thing, and Mindy and I have read a book. I've given it to several of you. I love this. It's Take the Next Logical Step by Faith. That's from a book called The Red Sea Rules. Take the Next Logical Step by Faith you want your plans and your authority to be just given to God, listen, there's going to be days of the week where you don't have time to weigh everything and pray about it and fast for three hours. You just got to make a decision. Take the next logical step by faith. Some of you just need to be freed at this point, right? Just step out. God, I don't know all the ins and outs and the ifs, ands, or buts, right? But I'm just going to take, this is what looks like it's supposed to happen. I'm going to step into that, and I'm going to step into it in faith that you're not going to let my feet fail. Amen? Just take that next step by faith. Next thing, work and live like God is using you to accomplish his works. Did you think that Friday at any point? God's using me today. Did you consider that Thursday at two o'clock in the afternoon when you're in that boring meeting? God's gonna use me somehow today. He's using me to accomplish his work and his will today somehow. Live every day like God is using you to accomplish his work in this world. Next one, ask God to use you for eternal purposes. Now listen, sometimes that's small stuff, okay? Sometimes that's small, little, tiny things. Moms, while you're changing diapers, God used this for your eternal purposes. I don't know how, God. <laughs> I don't get this. Show me somehow. Speak love into my child through me, through me serving them, through me working for them and in them and for their benefit. Somehow use me for eternal purposes and everything that I do. I think that's a great prayer to pray, and I don't think God's gonna turn that one down. I don't think that's ever a no. God's like, nope, sorry, <laughs> 
can't use you today, you know? I think if I submit myself to him, like God use me somehow today for something eternal, he'll go, I'll take you up on that. I think I've been waiting for you to pray that. God bends the hearts of kings in his hands and he can take our hearts as we bend them to his will and he can use them in powerful eternal ways. Don't be freaked out by that idea. Let's submit and celebrate this idea. Verse two, every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. So, man, he, the author just doubles down on why our hearts are so bad, right? He just doubles down on why our hearts need a wisdom makeover because we can easily, we have this uncanny ability to convince ourselves that we're right. I am the greatest arguer with me, and I win every argument. You ever thought about that? <laughs> I always do what I want to do. Now, you may protest. You always do what you want to do. You always give your resources, time, energy, money, words to what you want to do. We have this un un unbelievable ability, it's our superpower, to convince ourselves that we're right. Whether it's a perceived offense, somebody says or does something and we immediately go to, they hate me, they want what's worse for me, they intended to hurt me, I'm right about that. There is no other option. We have this unability, uh, unbelievable ability to convince ourselves we're right. A perceived offense, telling ourselves this is for our best. And I know God probably doesn't want me to do this. I know she's going to be mad. I know this is going to hurt people. But really, at the end, it's going to be the best thing for everybody. I'm the exception. I know what God says. I know, I know how everybody else in my life who I've seen walk this path, I know what happens to them, but I'm going to be the exception. This won't come true for me. That's pride or false words or sexual sin or whatever it is. We convince ourselves that we are right. This means that even when I examine my heart to test it, I lie to myself and convince myself I am right. Even when I sit down and go, hmm, let me evaluate where I'm going right now. Man, I am so smart. I'm making some great choices right now. I'm going to keep on headed down that path. It's like if our heart came to us and filled out a resume for leadership in our lives. You ever thought about that? So you have a leadership vacancy and you're taking applications and your heart's like, hey, I'm, I'm up for that. I'd like to lead you. And you're having the phone, you know, call and you're like, yeah, so I see you have like this opening, this uh, thing for a leader. Yeah, man, I'm ready to go. I'd like to throw my name in the hat. Uh, here are my qualifications. I am deceitful. I am totally self-centered. I chase after any and everything and any person that I think I want and that will make me happy. I am perpetually looking for something to give meaning to my life, and I follow all the wrong people. I am pathologically selfish. I tend to use people for my glory and to make me feel good. Leave me a voicemail, and if I don't pick up, send me a Snapchat, let me know where you're at, I'll get back to you. That is bad leadership material. But what do we do? Follow our hearts. What do we tell people to do? Even more horrifically, we tell them to follow their hearts. Awful advice. Our hearts cannot save us. Listen, we have to be saved from our hearts. Our hearts can't save us. The secret's not in you. We have to be saved from what's in us. 
the Lord weighs our hearts. We think we're right. We convince ourselves we're right. We follow our hearts, but the Lord weighs our heart. And you're like, dang it, I knew it. I knew God's watching me, and I know that he wants to just squash me every single day. Listen, here's what I want to say, big boys and big girls. Of course there's accountability with freedom. You ever thought about that? Of course there's accountability with freedom. God has given us so much freedom and choice and power in some ways. Of course there's accountability with that. What a horrible heavenly father he would be if he just gave us all power tools and then went away. Right? Babies with power tools, that's what we would be. But it also means this, God weighs my heart. There's accountability. It also means this, that God knows what I want. God knows why I want it and God can show me so that I can submit to his will and change. Psalm 139, Psalm 26, 2. See if there is any wicked way in me and reveal it to me so that I can walk in the way everlasting. God weighs my heart. He knows why I want. He knows the things that I want. He knows what I shouldn't want. He wants to show me those things, not to beat me down, but to redeem me from those things to save me from those things. It's somewhat mysterious. It's unseen. It's supernatural. It's part of sanctification. It's part of God making us look like Jesus Christ. He's renewing us in the seat of our emotions, in your heart, which is what your heart is. Every Western culture has always seen our hearts as the seat of our emotions, the throne room of our decisions, our instinctual desires. The gospel's getting into those places and renewing them and changing them. So just step back into this last week again. Did anybody do anything this last week that you wish you didn't do? That you'd like to tell, oh, we got volunteers, okay. <laughs> so we, we wish we could go back. We wish you could take a little time capsule and go back. Go, yeah, I'd like to take those words back. I'd like to take that, that laziness back. I'd like to take those, critic those harsh criticisms back. Here's what I want you, I want you to think, some of you shot your hands up quickly so it's, it's fresh on our minds. Ask God to reveal to you why you did that. Have you ever thought about that? God, why did I do that? Where did that come from? Why was I so motivated? What value did I have that said that was the best way to act? Why did I do that? Ask God to weigh your heart and show you why you did it. What was I seeking? What did I think was going, this was going to do for me or give me? Do you realize that? You're always in this mode of seeking things that are good for you, for your benefit. Why did I think that was going to give me something good? Weigh my heart. Why do I believe this to be true, God? Why do I believe this to be so true that I will hurt other people to act like that, to say that, to behave that way? Weigh my heart. This is faith, and it's exercised every day because God is a good father. And he knows me and he wants to correct me and restore me. That's an act of faith, right? Every time you say, God, weigh me, it's a trust step, isn't it? It's a trust fall. God, show me what's on, you know? You're hoping he's gonna be there to catch you and, and show you what's going on in your heart to change you. Verse four, haughty eyes and a proud heart is the lamp of the wicked and it's sin. This person is convinced in their heart they're convinced that they are the best, that they are the end of the decision-making process, that everything in them is all they need. Their light for life comes from inside of them. So this is, again, public service announcement at this point. Any religious language, any group of people that tell you, that encourage you, 
that you are the definer and the determiner of life should be absolutely avoided. And there's a lot of them in the Western world right now. Anyone that says to you, you have the light in you, you just need to discover it and apply it to the rest of your life, stay away. You are not the end of understanding life. Okay? That has to come from outside of us. This person, this person who has the, they think they have the light in them, they can look very open-minded and tolerant and broad-minded. Matter of fact, this word means wide open. It's a picture of a self-deluded person. They believe that the little pocket playground of their mind is sufficient for the vast, complicated decisions of life. We lived in Greatwood for 14 years. And one of the things that we would do, we'd ride our bikes or whatever when the kids were little, pocket playgrounds. Like in the middle, like it doesn't even make sense in Greatwood. You're riding, you know, you're riding your bike through somebody's neighborhood and there's like an official park there in the middle of the neighborhood. And we'd get up and we would play. The idea that my children learned on those playgrounds everything they need for life is ridiculous. Your heart is the same way. Some of you are convinced that what I know right now, everything I am, everything I've experienced is all I need to make every decision in life. It's the same foolishness that a small child would have if they thought everything they needed for life was in a pocket playground. We convince ourselves that we have the light. It ignores other input. It can sound wise as you deliberate with your own, your own mind and you come to your decision. Listen, believers have to reject ourselves in ourselves these eyes that are arrogant. And we have to reject a heart that says, God's word doesn't have anything to say to me. Maybe I would stretch it out and God's people don't have anything to say to me. The person who keeps their own counsel and that's it is a dangerous person. Wisdom submits to God's light and God's lamp his word through his Holy Spirit at the very least and I think godly people. Verse 6. The acquisition of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor. The pursuit of death. Verse 16. A man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. The soul of this verse 10. The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no favor in his eyes. There's all these other places that talk about the, a man's ways and it talks about our ways being crooked our ways being off a little bit right so when you think of your ways again I think that's another way to think about your heart it's another expression of your heart what is a man's ways it's your natural way of thinking it's your regular way of thinking how do you make decisions how do you weigh good bad evil values benefits negatives too much cost what is it in you that's allowing you and pointing you down the road of making those kinds of decisions? Those are your ways. And Scripture says that they are crooked. We are complicated beings, guys. We're com we talked about that last week. Don't oversimplify the human heart. Don't oversimplify the human problem. Now, having said that, I'm going to simplify something a little bit right here, okay? I want to say this. So we've had these horrible, horrible events in our country here in the last couple of weeks. Shootings and what's motivating them. We're all going to try to present our own narrative about why these things are happening. Are they racially motivated? Are they just unhinged people? Is there some illness involved? I read an article this week, um, you know, is the fact that, that 10 of these last 12 mass shooters had no father or mother at home. Is there some deep-seated pain and tragedy that's causing this person to act that way? We want answers as a country. We're searching for some kind of an answer to this 
senseless actions of evil, right? Well, what if, what if part of the problem is that a natural man just thinks and reasons and comes to conclusions in a crooked way? What if, what if, the, the, what if the answer at the end of the day isn't so much we need to segment these people over here because I'm not like them and I would never do that. What if the answer is we're all crooked, evil in our ways end in the wrong place and some people just act on it that way and I act on it in my way? Not justifying anything, not giving anybody a hall pass for doing what they're doing, but I think this changes the, the, the narrative and the story for us as we think about that. What if we just come to this conclusion that they're not crazy but the natural outcome of a sinful, selfish, self-conceited, prideful mind and heart ends in death and violence. Now, where in your heart and your ways are you crooked? You're like, well, I'm never going to shoot anybody, Pastor Joe. Back off. That's not the question for you to ask and answer here. The question for you to ask and answer is, where are my natural ways of thinking, reasoning, and believing about life crooked? Can that describe anybody in this room and how you think? You're not just different. You're crooked. You're warped. Proverbs 3, expose me and lead me and I will diligently seek the straight way. The straight way. Take me off this crooked path of my own deliberations, my own thinking, my own ways, because my ways are crooked. Some of us have this crookedness that just stays in us. It's, we need that practical righteousness of God to show itself every day, right? Wisdom of God. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. But we should not be known as Christians as people whose ways are consistently crooked. Did you all hear me? Our, your reputation should not be consistently that we, you are a crooked person. We have crookedness about us, but that's not our definer. Verse 16 says that we wander off. A man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. I wasn't exaggerating a second ago. This isn't accidental. It's not a one-time wander-off kind of a thing. This is a way of life. This is someone who wanders off from God, who wanders off down his own path. They've been given some godly instruction at some point, but it's not a single situation where advice is offered it's a lifestyle. It's someone who is choosing to turn away from God's will and God's word. So not mindlessly walking off course, but a heart that chooses to look away from God's compass, to look at another compass, and then look up someday and go, oh my gosh, where am I? I am miles off course. And it says at the end of that verse that we will dwell with the dead. Literally, that little phrase is the, the place of the spirits, the place of departed spirits. Listen, life is already hard, but it is harder and more destructive when we wander following our hearts without paying any attention. Life is already difficult. It's even harder, it's even more difficult, and the prices to pay are even much higher when I just wander after my heart without paying any attention. So are you paying attention today? Where do you need to wake up and see the benchmarks and the landmarks and hear the directions and course correct? Where are you kind of looking for somewhere else and ending up in a foreign place, a deadly place? Listen, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Christ, who he is, his teachings, his ways. 
Are you ignoring? So, so here's maybe a sign for some of you. We were at a leadership conference this week and we heard somebody say this and it sparked this in me, but signs that you're wandering, okay? How do I know, Pastor Joe, if I'm wandering? Sometimes it's physical health. Like our bodies are very attuned to our spirits. And our bodies can tell us a lot if we'll listen. What are your bodies telling you? Are you ignoring your physical health? Are you wandering in your mental and emotional health? Are you wandering in your emotional entanglements and commitments because they lead to death? Sometimes literally, very often spiritually, emotionally, relationally, it leads to death. Where are you wandering? Verse 25. Our hearts are full of all kinds of desires. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death for his hands refuse to work. All day long he is craving while the righteous gives and doesn't hold back. Our hearts are full of all kinds of cravings and desires. Eastern religious traditions, Buddhism in particular, will tell you that the way to deal with your desires, the way to get rid of your bad desires, or at least not to feed them, is to put them aside, to kind of shed those things from you, and to indulge your good desires. I think that denies the fundamental flawedness of our hearts and our inability to, to figure ourselves out. The word that's uh, used here, this word for desire, it's a weird little word. It wouldn't work in English. Um, it's ta'awa. It's one word, but like a hyphen, basically. And it's kind of two words shoved together, and it means to greedily crave, to crave cravings, to crave desires. It's like this person who's just consumed with desiring things and craving things and wanting things. Something that looks very attractive to us and we begin to convince ourselves that we need it. Right? That's why they put candy at the aisle when you're checking out at the grocery store. I need that Kit Kat. Right? <laughs> we convince ourselves we see it and we want it and we convince ourselves we need it and we bend our desires, emotions, and, and, and energy and resources to getting it. So this literal person here, the literal word is that he is desiring desire. So what's going on here? Why is this so dangerous? You're like, well, okay, he's lazy, sluggard, he's a lazy person. He wants a bunch of stuff, what's the big deal? What kills the sluggard is that he is content with desiring and craving. He's got a whole bunch of desires, he just doesn't have anything, he's not doing anything to fulfill any of them. Or to ask, should I desire that? He craves himself to death. His heart wants, but he doesn't do anything for those consumption or for those, those cravings. It's the death of bitterness, the death of dreams, the death of relationships, the death of joy, and then death. There's a heart of a righteous person that we get here at the end. The slugger desires, he doesn't do any work, he's craving and craving and wanting and doesn't do anything about it. The righteous person gives and doesn't hold back. So whereas the wicked man, the lazy man, holds back his desire to give, that's the only desire he squelches in himself, is to give. The lazy man holds back the desire to give because he wants everything that he has for himself. And the strange thing is he doesn't have anything to keep because he's not doing anything to get stuff. And whatever he does get, he hoards it. But the righteous man is looking for ways to give to other person. 
The righteous person works hard for what he has, yet he does not allow his heart's desires to control him. He's looking for ways to give to other people, to bless other people, to invest in other people. Did you see it there? While the righteous gives and does not hold back, consistently, constantly looking for ways so that he can have a rich life in his heart and he can bless other people with that also. He will be a life giver to others rather than just a stuff-wanting force on this earth. I wrote that and I think that's really good. <laughs> All right? I'm going to say that again. He will be a life giver to others rather than just a stuff-wanting force on this earth. He doesn't hold back his new desires. His new desires have been changed because his heart has been changed. He's not ruled by those desires. He's ruled by a desire to give to other people now. Our hearts are full. We don't, here's our problem, man. We don't, it's not that we don't want enough, it's that we want too much, right? And that our wants and our desires are misaligned. They're pointed at the wrong things. My heart, our hearts are full of too much desire for too many good things. And then I complain about them and I worry about them, about not having enough or having it when I want it. And even if I got them, they would all be for me anyway so many times. So my heart needs a total overhaul. Your heart needs a total renovation. A daily clean, clean out. A daily reordering. My love, my heart, left to myself, it will lead me astray. And it will, it will gravitate toward evil. So my soul has to be submitted to God's ways daily. I want you to remember this. We think that the worst thing that could happen to us would be that we wouldn't get what we want most. What if the worst thing that could happen to you would be that you would get what you want most? And God knows it. And so in his love, he withholds it from you. But we're convinced that what we want most is what's best because we overtrust our hearts. So we go through life bitter and angry and disappointed and afraid that we're going to lose more because we don't trust in this God who weighs our hearts in his hands and who renovates us with the grace of Jesus Christ. You guys bow your heads, close your eyes. What does it look like to be this person who's being renovated? What does that person look like? You don't tell God how to be God anymore. <laughs> you don't tell God how to be God in your heart. Have you been doing that? God, that's not fair. That's not right. That's not enough. You didn't treat me the way I should have been treated. The person whose heart is open to the renovation of God, who is being renovated by God, doesn't tell God how to be God. God, just be God in my life. Weigh my heart. What needs to be changed? I submit to that. I'm not going to tell you how, when, or where. You get in and dig stuff up and you change me. Pray that prayer if you need to. I'm not going to tell you how to be God anymore. Not in my heart. My heart's yours. Second, don't trust your unsubmissive heart. Where is your heart not submitted to the Lord? Because you know that there's going to be maybe a sacrifice or it's going to be hard or difficult. And so you're kind of willingly walking in a, in a rebellious way, a rebellious spirit. And you're trusting that you're going to get to where you want to go because your heart tells you it's what's best. Don't trust your unsubmissive heart, your unrepented heart. 
being renovated. God's renovating you, why you do what you do, how you do it. Next thing, be diligent. Be diligent to pursue everything God's doing in your heart. Man, that can be hard because sometimes God holds up the mirror and we were like, oh my gosh, I look awful. I don't want to look at that again. But we have to be wise and pick the mirror up and go, okay, God, what are you saying about me? What, who am I really? What do I really look like? Show me. And I want to submit that to you. I want to diligently pursue. I'll read what I need to read. I will go where I need to go. I'll meet with who I need to meet with, God. I will pursue your work in my life. Are you doing that right now, this morning? I'm going to, per, I'm going to chase it. I'm going to pursue it. God is showing me something. He's changing my heart from the inside out, and I'm going to go run after it. Don't tell God how to be God. Don't trust your unrepentant heart. Be diligent to pursue God's work. And then the last thing, crave for the blessing of God's renovating work. Crave it. Desire it. Trust in it. Rest in it. You have cravings and desires. Some of you have placed your cravings and desires for your children over God's renovating work in your heart. You've placed cravings and desires for financial stability over craving God's work in your heart. You've placed the desire for a spouse over God's renovating work in your heart. Crave it. Pray that prayer. God, give me a craving desire, a craving crave, a desiring to desire the work that you're doing in my heart. I want to want that more. I want to want that more than these other things that I want. Trust it, guys. Rest in it. Jimmy talked about it earlier. Some of your problems, listen, you're here this morning and you're, you're in church and God bless you that you're here, but you're far away from God. Your hearts aren't even alive. They're dead. Your hearts are enslaved to sin. You've given yourself to your own desires and your sinful evilness. You, that's just where you're at. Listen, I want to tell you, God will give you a new heart. He says, I will take out hearts of stone and I will give them hearts of flesh. How does that happen, Pastor Joe? You just call out to him right now. God, I'm dead in my heart. I need a living heart. Save me from my own sin. Save me from my own evil heart. He'll hear you. He'll answer. He'll give you a new heart. We didn't look at it in verse 20. You can look at it later. But there's a treasure for those of us. There's a treasure for those of us who just submit to participate with, share in the work that God's doing in us. It says there is a treasure in that heart. God, I want your treasures. Could you pray that this morning? There is a treasure you have for me. There's a renewed heart you have for me. God, I don't want to lust like that anymore. I don't want to be greedy like that anymore. I don't want to be bitter like that anymore. I don't want to be jealous like that anymore. I don't want to be unforgiving like that. My heart is a dirty place <laughs> and I have followed it for too long. Give me the treasure of your work in my life. Give me the treasure of you changing my heart from the inside out. My core wants and my desires, God, that I would crave you more than anything else, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this word today, this challenging word, this good word, encouraging word. Pray that we would trust your work. And then we pray, amen. Thank you so much for being here. Our guys are going to come.
take up our offering at this time. If you're a, a member here, give faithfully. It's been a phenomenal summer. We've done so much just really great God-honoring stuff. I really mean that. Um, and it's because we just give faithfully. So we don't ever struggle and worry about that because you guys are faithful to, to give on a regular basis. If you're a guest here, just turn in your card. We want to give you a gift and tell you thanks for being here. Um, I also want to say Jared and Whitney are here. Whitney's right here. Jared's right here. So... It's uh, second time in the last three months we've seen him in the same room together. So um, we're excited. The kids are here. Um, their transition to, to be here in, in the Fort Bend area is beginning. Um, so, man, just make sure you go out of your way to just get to know them. They're awesome. You're going to love them. And uh, they're going to do their best to pour into you and pastor you guys. Um, so let's love them really, really well, okay? Uh, Jared, what you got for us? 